Good morning, Grace. Good to see everybody this morning. And um, just like I asked the first service, guys, did y'all even watch the video? Y'all didn't even watch that video. Y'all had no idea a video was going on, did you? That's fine. Uh, we love the fellowship. Yes, sir. <laughs> Robbie saw the video. We always have one that has seen the video. Thank you, Robbie. <laughs> All right. Well, it's good to see you guys today. It's a, it's a special Sunday because... Um, Pastor George Morange's last Sunday, his, his official uh, associate pastor has come to a close today, and um, so he will be uh, speaking this morning and sharing the word with you guys, and um, we look forward to, to hearing him uh, again uh, this morning as he breaks open God's word, and uh, we certainly appreciate the ministry of George and Glenda uh, through the years, and um, I will make this announcement now. Um, we will be celebrating their life and ministry uh, sometime in the fall, hopefully. Um, we're going to have a big celebration uh, for them. At the end of the first service, we had a presentation uh, to George and Glenda, and his family was actually here, Chris, and his wife and their kids, and then Amanda was in town as well. So we were able to, to celebrate with them and um, wanted to let you know that the, the church... Um, with the approval of the elders, was able to give them a love gift, and uh, we'll be doing more of that in the fall, so uh, you look forward to that. Hopefully, we can, we can do that together and express our appreciation for all the years of service that uh, George and Glenda have given to, um, to the Lord, and they'll continue to do that, but we need to acknowledge God's faithfulness in their lives, and um, so we, th- we want to thank uh, the Lord for George and uh, I know you're looking forward to hearing uh, him this morning. I'm going to ask that you would take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2. And we will uh, read um, beginning in verse 19 and go through the end of the chapter, Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to ask that you'd stand, please, as we read God's Word uh, together. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19. And we have the privilege, let me say this before I begin reading 
this morning. We have the privilege of the youth leading uh, the music this morning. And uh, so we look forward to hearing from them. And, you know, we're thankful for the ministry of the youth and the leaders that uh, lead these young people. And uh, obviously they've been impacted through everything that's been going on. But I know that the leaders have been in contact with the students and and still encouraging them in terms of their walk with the Lord. So you pray for them. This is a hard time for them not to be together every week. And um, just pray for their summer, that the Lord would direct them as they plan for the next year. And um, hopefully we'll all be able to get back together to some normal. Wouldn't that be nice? And to put the chairs back in here that are actually less comfortable than these. (laughs) So um, we look forward to those days, and we're just praying that the Lord will will guide us uh, in all of that. So uh, this morning, let's read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. The Apostle Paul in writing says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest and not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in a high regard. And then he tells you why, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me, and may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. You know, it's it's quite a statement here that the Apostle Paul had men with him that served alongside of him, and um, you know we often think of Paul maybe as kind of the Lone Ranger, but he he was not. He had many who partnered with him in the ministry for the furtherance of the gospel, and um, I think one of the things here that really sticks out to me, I was sharing in the first service, is you think about. Epaphroditus and what's said about him here. I mean, if you look at the end of the chapter and what he says, he says he came close to death for the work of Christ. And uh, may work a little inconvenience, but when you think about what that says about that man, um, that he was willing to risk his own life for the cause of Christ. You know, there are many around the world that do that all the time. And as we did in first service, we're going to pray for the persecuted church. Persecuted church exists. There are people out there literally giving their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's bow together and let's remember the persecuted church 
and then what the Lord will do with us today as we learn more from the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much for another day of life. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate you today uh, together. And uh, we're thankful that we're able to come back together. And I thank you for the first service and those who were able to come and the worship that we had. And I thank you for George opening up your word and, and uh, Lord, reminding us and instructing us. And uh, we're just so thankful for George, Lord, and for all the years of ministry that you've given to him and Glenda. Uh, we really, really appreciate uh, him very much. And, um, Lord, he's your servant, and we're so, so thankful for him. Um, this morning, Lord, we specifically want to pray for the persecuted church around the world. Those who, um, some are in isolation, uh, suffering persecution. We just remember them today. And, Lord, I pray you would encourage them. And, uh, Lord, that um, they would be able just to see uh, the blessings that they have just knowing you. And, Lord, that's good for us to remember that we have so many blessings just because we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so I pray this morning that you would be honored in everything that's done. I pray for the youth as they lead us uh, in the music and uh, as we worship through music, through song. And then, Lord, I pray for George as he brings your word. You'd just give him strength for the second service, Lord. And we just thank you so much that we can come here today and worship you. And we pray all this in the precious name of the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Um, if y'all will just continue to stand with us as we worship the Lord um, and just lift his name on high.
succeeded. from last time. That's better. Well, it's almost like deja vu, isn't it? But I remember years ago at Faith Chapel, we had that small little house, and we grew to where it just wasn't big enough, and we would have to have two services. And it was uh, trying at times, but it was also uh, enjoyable at times. Have a chance to think through what you said earlier and decide to not say it again or something you should have said and, and pencil it in. <laughs> uh, and as far as uh, the length of the services, I'll, I'll try to keep it on time. I won't guarantee it. I'm reminded of a commencement speaker at Yale and uh, his address to the graduates was based on the acrostic of Yale. Uh, he spoke on the why for about 20 minutes and talked about youth. Then he spoke on the A for 30 minutes and emphasized ambition. Then he spoke about the L for 15 minutes and emphasized loyalty. And then he spoke on the E for another 20 minutes and spoke on enthusiasm. And uh, at the end of the 85 minute speech, one of the grads was overheard saying, it's a good thing to sit in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. <laughs> it would go forever. And I finally get to see my good friend, Chris. Uh, he is my good friend, and I appreciate the fact that sometimes he shares stories about me, and uh, that means that I get to share stories about him. Uh, and I checked his background a little bit. He grew up in Blount County. And I read, I found out that as a youngster, he found out that there was a nice pond on some guy's property, and it was just loaded with fish. And so he would go out there uninvited and uh, catch enough to take home maybe and have a, a little supper. And one day while he was fishing or just getting started, a man walked up and said, hey, uh, how you doing? And Chris said, I'm doing fine. He said, you having any success? And Chris said, oh, man. He said, I've been taking 30, 40 bass out of here every day for a couple of weeks now. He said, this place is incredible. And the man said, uh, do you know who I am? And Chris said, no. He said, well, I'm the game warden. And in addition, he said, I own this property. I own this pond. And Chris thought for a minute, and he's always been good on his feet. Might want to stand up. <laughs> he says, well, do you know who I am? And the game warden said, no. He said, I don't know who you are. He said, well, I'm the biggest liar in Blount County. <laughs> I'm not sure that helped him get out of his predicament, but good story is always a good story. Oh. 
uh, I was telling the, the group earlier that uh, this is the day that I knew was going to come, but uh, so therefore, but it was off in the distance, and so I really never thought much about it. But today it is it has come. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not dying this afternoon. I'm not going to go away. We're not moving to Alaska or anything. We're staying right here in in the Birmingham area. But uh, this will be the end of me being a paid staff member on pastoral staff of any church and I, I appreciate these last six years some of you are young and you, you don't know all that's happened but God just uh, blessed us in an enormous way by bringing about the merger of two churches that had two needs and they were different but each church had the solution for the other church's need uh, we were here this building wasn't, this room wasn't finished. It was empty. We were meeting over there. But we needed people, and especially young people. And Springville Road, they had people. They were, they were uh, overflowing. But they needed a bigger place without having to go in debt. Uh, and so we were both debt-free, so we merged. And the people from Deerfoot suddenly saw that there were more people, and the people from Springville Road saw that we now had a new location, a new place to, to worship. We even built a new building for children's ministries and all that, and the Lord blessed all that. And the majority of the money to build all that was, was given by our people. We, you know, we don't take offerings. We're not opposed to them, but we don't have time. Uh, but our people know, and they, they God motivates them to give, and they gave uh, uh, almost three, $3 million to, to build these facilities, to renovate this building and build the other building. But it's been a great, great uh, uh, merger, and I personally have enjoyed uh, being uh, associated with, with, with Thad to be able to assist him and, and, and help him in any way that, that I could, and uh, just to meet so many wonderful people that love the Lord and and want to uh, train their spiritual minds uh, in addition to their, their physical minds, but to be trained to be sensitive to the Lord and, and his desires for our, our lives. That's why he's left us here. He's left us here to serve and to make him known. Uh, otherwise, we'd all just go to heaven immediate, uh, immediately when we came to Christ. But anyway, I do uh, publicly thank Thad and... Uh, Thank you, and I encourage you to continue to follow the leadership of the, our elder board. Those are good men that have uh, grown spiritually, and they are worthy of being followed. Um, and as we follow them, uh, they will lead us in the things that the Lord wants us to, to be about as a body of Christ. Okay, but... It was 42 years ago when, uh, well, really longer than that. It was 1970, uh, it was 1966 when I went off to college and uh, I met my wife. We dated four years. We graduated in May of 1970. We were married June 13th of 1970. 
Our honeymoon was to go to Dallas and get prepared for me to enter Dallas Theological Seminary. And we did that. And uh, the first day of seminary came, uh, and it was a, a tough day. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I felt like I was just overwhelmed by the history of the place and the reputation and the, the great men that had uh, done their studies there at Dallas. And now here am I at Dallas with, with all these men from, from Penn State and from Harvard and from Yale and from Michigan and from Cal Berkeley and UCLA and all the great universities across America. And then some came from the world. They came from China and uh, the Philippines and Europe. It was just a tremendous compilation of students as well as faculty. Uh, they took a hundred in each class. And we were told the first day, don't complain. But you, know, you, you may think that you have a better way of doing things, but we think we we're doing things the right way. And if you're not happy, there are 25 people right now all around the world praying for you to leave because they want your chair. So that was kind of humbling to know that uh, we were a carefully selected group. And of course, they never could answer the question, who approved my application? Uh, Dr. Pentecost told me that at my graduation. He said, son, he said, we're glad you're here, but..." We still don't know who approved your application, how you got in. And I said, the Lord. Look for his signature. <laughs> but, uh, it, it was a, but that first day, it was the, the Old Testament professors, uh, he, they told me, you got to read 1,500 pages by the end of the week and take a quiz. The Greek professor said, you got to learn every Greek word that's used 500 times or more and be prepared to take a quiz. Even the, the Christian education professor, uh, Bible study methods, Howard Hendricks, he said, I want you to study Acts 1-8 tonight and bring back 25 observations. That, that sounds reasonable. Try it sometime. Try it. Just sit down with just you and your Bible, no other help, and just look at that verse and write down 25 observations. But I, I managed to do it eventually. Next day, I was so glad to get that one done with. He said, for tomorrow, I want you to give me another 25 observations. And the next day, he did it again. And uh, I feel like I wrote Acts 1-8. I know it, I know it, know it so well. But uh, I came home that day just in a daze at what was before me. And my wife said, uh, tonight's a PTA beating, first one. She was teaching. And she said, I'd love for you to go with me because it's in a, you have to go through some rough neighborhoods so she said, you can study in the library. No, nobody will bother you. So I went with my jeans and my T-shirt and my sneakers and my books. And she went to her PTA meeting, and I'm sitting in there studying. And big, large, black lady comes in and says, are you uh, Miss Glenda's husband? I said, yes, I am. She said, you know, come with me. And at first I thought maybe something had happened to Glenda. And we go in that huge room where all the PT, all the parents and the teachers are there. And she said, well, uh, they, they had the Pledge of Allegiance and the salute and, you know, and all that. They may have even sung a song. I don't remember. But finally she said, and now we will be led in the invocation by the most holy reverend, Dr. Marange. 
And I thought, I've been in school one day, and I'm already a most holy reverend doctor. And so that, was, that lifted my spirits a little bit. It gave me a little encouragement. <laughs> oh, and I, I, well, that, that's enough of that. But anyway, uh, I, I'm happy to be here today. And of all the subjects I, I wrestled with, this is not the one that I really wanted to speak on. Uh, but this is the one that the Lord just wouldn't let me get away from because of the crisis that we've been through. So many people just not knowing if they're going to live or die. Um, we even got word last week that my adopted grandfather, my, my son-in-law's granddad, and they've adopted Glenn and I since we don't have parents. Uh, he's got the, the Corona-19 virus. And he and his wife are in a nursing home down in Homerville, Georgia. And they, had to, they immediately took him out and took him to uh, the next town down the road, I forget, Valdosta, Georgia, and to a hospital where they have a special wing for, for that, that problem. And my adopted uh, mother, bless her heart, she was just, she's 90-something 90, 90 years old, and it just broke her heart to have him taken out, knowing that she'll never see him again. Because at his age, with his conditions, diabetes and all that, they just told him, they told, told her, he's not coming back. Well, for some reason, they got to Valdosta, and they said he wasn't far enough along yet to require that, so they sent him back to the nursing home, and they isolated him in another wing there at the nursing home. So they're back in the same building, but they still can't see each other. Now, you, you live with somebody for 75 years, and become so, it's like a can of worms. You can't tell which head goes to which tail. You just get so wrapped up in each other. And uh, it, it just breaks my heart. And nobody can go see him, not even her, nobody. And may never see him again until glory. But there are a lot of people that are going through doubt and uncertainty and pain, and they're questioning uh, everything in their life. Nobody's ever been through this before. Uh, if, you know, if you'll have to live a long time, young people, to probably ever see something like this again. Because I'm 71, and I've never seen this that's happening today. That, that's how unique it is. We've had viruses, but not like this one. Uh, but anyway, people want peace. They want, they want certainty. They, they want to know that things are going to be okay, and that God has, hasn't abandoned them in whatever circumstances they're in. And so, because of that, uh, I've chosen the text of John chapter 20. John chapter 20 occurs after the resurrection of Jesus, not long after his resurrection. And um, he is, uh, his disciples are in the, the upper room. Uh, it says in verse 19 of chapter 20, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, and let me comment, they were fearful of the Jews because the Jews had just crucified Christ. And, and in doing so, they were basically saying, we reject him, we reject his message, we, rejected, we reject his plan, and we reject his followers. If you're following him, 
then we, you are an enemy to us just as he was an enemy to us. And so they were literally fearing for their lives, thinking they killed our, our, our leader. Now they're looking for all the lieutenants. And the disciples were the lieutenants. They, they were the closest in, in rank to the Savior himself. So they're in this room and they're locked up and their knees are knocking and their teeth are chattering. And uh, all of a sudden, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Evidently, he was able to get through the lock. Uh, He just went through the wall. And he said to them, peace be with you. Arene humin. And then, verse 21, Jesus therefore said to them again, peace be with you. And then, verse 24 it says, Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, he was a twin, he was not with them when Jesus came the first time. And the other disciples were saying to Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, well, unless I shall see in his hand the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is doubting everything now. The fact that they arrested Christ and crucified him. He said, this isn't supposed to happen. We're supposed to have the kingdom, and we're supposed to have offices on the side that faces the east, and now it's all being taken away. Life was just blowing up for Thomas. He didn't know what to think about anything. And so after eight days, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas now is with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. A third time. And then he said to Thomas to reach in his fingers and his hand and touch the wounds. He satisfied the need he said he, he had. He said, If I don't see these things and touch those wounds, I won't believe. And so at three times, Jesus makes this statement, peace be with you. But we're going to see that in each time, each case, he's talking about a different kind of peace. And for instance, going back to verse 19, when it was evening, on the first day, doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now verse 20 is the key. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Now, what would that do in context? What did it mean to those disciples to see their Savior alive, and he has the scars from what had happened just a few days ago when he was nailed to a tree and crucified? Well, it would tell them that he is alive. He died. They buried him. But we we know that he came forth from the tomb. And uh, by the way, people that doubt the resurrection, 2,000 years later, there is still no concrete evidence that would hold up in any court of law to dispute the historical reality of the resurrection of Christ. If you'd have been living in that day, 
and Jesus wasn't alive, he was dead, and you were able to get his body, what would you have done with it? When the Jews, when the, when the people was, were clamoring that, you know, uh, he's alive, he's alive, they would have just thrown it out in front of them and said, no, he's dead. There he is right there. Nobody ever produced the body of our Savior. To the contrary, many, many people saw him alive after his death and burial and resurrection. They saw the evidence that it was the same man. He had the scars just where they were placed when Christ was nailed to the tree and the soldiers stabbed him in the side to see if he was really dead and, and, and those things that happened. He had the, the, the evidence. And then they couldn't refute the fact that a whole lot of people just became transformed in their, their life, transformed in, in their, their thinking. Suddenly, you know, we have a living Savior and everything he promised before the cross, he now can still fulfill it because he's come back. He defeated death. He defeated two deaths. He defeated spiritual death. He paid the penalty for our sin, and he defeated physical death by his resurrection from the grave on the third day, as he had promised to do. He predicted he would do it. I mean, that's even better than Babe Ruth pointing, you know, to the bleachers. I'm going to hit a home run, and then he hit one. But there's, nobody has, has successfully disputed. Books have been written by people who were trying to dispute the resurrection, and in searching the evidence, they came to believe. And they now write books uh, dealing with the reality of the resurrection. They, they've come to Christ, many a, a man and woman. But all these years there is still no historical evidence contrary to the fact that he rose from the dead. He was seen by as many as 500 at one time. And he left a group of men and women who were totally sold out to following him and, and perpetuating the message that he was preaching of faith and trust in himself as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Um, but anyway, the evidence that he shows them, that has to have something to say to the issue of peace. How can I have peace, Lord? Well, it, it's because now you see that everything that the enemy did has failed. I mean, actually they succeeded. They did crucify me, but I rose from the dead just as I predicted. And I'm, I'm, I am more powerful than the enemy. And it was God's plan that I come and die for you so that you could have forgiveness of your sin. Our salvation is not based on what we do. We're not trying to earn it. We're not trying to work for it. You got to go to church. You got to get involved in activities. Uh, be a part of the praise group. That'll help. That'll score points. Uh, you got to go on a missions trip. Uh, you got to do this, do that. It's not about doing. Salvation is simply believing. I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and he died on the cross in my place. And he rose from the dead to vindicate the fact that he is God 
and that he satisfied everything that his father sent him to do. That's why he cried out on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. Now, there are churches that are still trying to tell you what you got to do. Yeah, they say, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross, but you still got to do this, do this. You got to be a part. You got to be approved by the church. You got to do the sacraments and all this. You got to go to the priest to get your confession. You can't just go to God. Oh, they've, they've, uh, they, they frown on that. You don't have the right to go to God. You have to go to the priest. And he is the McDonald's of Christianity. And he has the franchise, and he has the right to absolve people of their sin and things of this nature. So the peace he's talking about is the peace of God and salvation. Well, here it is. But the, the concept, the context of peace is not defined until you put verse 20 with it. It was when he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. It's him. It's him. He, the one that we served for three and a half years. And, and he was telling us that he's the Messiah and he's going to usher in the millennial age that was promised to Abraham and all of the seed of Israel. But we thought it was all over when they crucified him, but he's alive. And, and he commissioned those disciples to go and tell others, just as they were trying to tell others before his, his crucifixion. But the atonement has been finished. It's been completed. So that now we don't have to be alienated from God anymore. Young people, I think, uh, don't always maybe understand things, but I was young once, and sometimes we really don't know, but we're too proud to admit it. So I want to tell you something that you may know, but if you don't, then you'll know today. There's a word theologians use, it's called depravity. And it's, it's, it sums up the fact that man is... Uh, separated from God spiritually because of Adam's sin. And that now affects everybody that comes from Adam. It's, it's a part of humanity. All humanity is depraved. And people sometimes interpret that in a negative way to say, well, that means that we're all drunks, we're all drug addicts, we're all prostitutes, we're all pimps. Uh, we, 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 we're just filthy, dirty, homeless people that, that just are a scourge upon the earth. That's not what depravity means. Now, there are some people that are like I just described. You go in certain parts of the city, and you'll see people drunk on the street. You'll see people that uh, look like they could cut your throat and drink your blood. And every once in a while, somebody does it. They kill each other. There are people that are doing very bad things in our world. But there are also people who are doing heart surgery. I don't know about your doctor, but there are heart surgeons that, that save lives, and yet they are depraved because they are separated from God. They don't know Christ. Therefore, there is a wall of division that separates that person because of sin. So depravity doesn't mean that you can't be a good person. Depravity just means you can't know God. 
And no matter how much good you do, it, it, it gains you zip. God won't accept anything that comes from anybody separated from him. And we're under judgment, and, and judgment is eternal judgment. But there, there are people that design skyscrapers, beautiful. They're depraved. They do uh, sculptures. They're depraved. Now, there are some of those people that may be believers as well. The point I'm making is that you could be in a $1,000 suit, and you could be uh, working in a, in a soup kitchen giving meals to people who, who have no food, and, and people would admire the way you dress and, and your desire to help people. But God says, I don't know you. You're separated from me. So it's, it's not a, a physical condition. It's a spiritual condition. You are separated from God. And the world has all kinds of ways of dealing with that. Most of them involve you got to earn it. I mean, even the Muslims, you know, whatever heaven they think they have, the best way to get there is to kill so many Gentiles. Well, you know, what if, what if the way to heaven is for us to kill so many Jews to get to heaven? You know, heaven would be worse than earth if all these people are there. But there's nothing you can do to remedy the problem. Nothing. Except believe that God sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior of men, of the world. And his death doesn't guarantee anybody is saved, but his death makes possible the salvation of all who will believe that he is who he is and that he did what he did. That's called salvation by grace through faith. No works. You do nothing to merit that salvation, but God offers it to you freely as an act of his grace. And it's just offered. And you say, yes or no, I accept it or I reject it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There are not people that were easier for God to save than others. We're all separated. You're either separated or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. And by grace, you're either saved or you're not. Sometimes a fellow will tell me, well, I'm almost there. No, there is no almost there. You're either saved or you're lost. And no matter how close you may think you are, if you die before you finish the, the race, all that you've done means nothing. You're either saved or you're lost. Well, then how do I get saved? Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ was God's son and God sent him to die for the sins of the world. See, and that gives you peace. I don't know if I'm going to get the, the, the virus. I know that I'm not the kind of guy that ought to get it. I got diabetes and I got all kind of stuff. I'm, one, I'm 71 years old. It's obviously I'm not in the best of physical health. They say, you shouldn't get the virus. Well, okay. I mean, I don't want to get it. But I'm not just writhing my hand saying, oh, please, God, don't let me get the virus because it, I might die. Hey, if I die... Don't cry for me. Have a party for me. Let the world know that one of God's children has gone home. Hallelujah. We make dying the worst thing. We make heaven. Oh, I got to go to heaven. And I was going to get a car next year. Or, 
or Johnny was going to pop the question and give me a ring. And I'm not trying to belittle those things. I got married. I went through all that. But if you're a believer, no matter how or when, you get hit by a car, you get a, a, a disease, uh, you get murdered by somebody, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. No matter how it happens, after you become a believer, you belong to God, and you will be His for all eternity. So you can have peace about that. I'm not worried about uh, death. I've got to get out of jail card. I belong to Christ. He died for me, and I, I accepted that. And I can live my life confident that He is with me every day until He says, I want you to come home, George, tomorrow. Fine. I'm going home. And, and I don't say, oh, couldn't I have just another five years? No, no not the way I'm going to be living in retirement. I'd rather add that to my time there. But peace. John 14, 27, I think, I think I have that one up. Yeah. He says, Jesus, this was before his cru crucifixion. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You believe in God, believe also in me. See, believe in God, believe also in me. Why is that? Because they're the same. You're talking about the same person. Jesus, somebody asked Jesus, show us the Father. What did Jesus tell him? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. We have the same DNA. Take a little bit of me and take a little bit of the Father and ask a, a pathologist to study the, the tissue, and he would come back and say, this is weird. They have the same DNA. Identical twins uh, are, are that way. Now, I have a twin, but she's a, a sister, so it's obvious they're not, we're not uh, identical. We happen to be two separate sperms that found two separate eggs and fertilized at the same time so that we were in the womb at the same time for nine months. And then I came out 20 minutes first. Matter of fact, back then, I came out, and then my mother said, there's another one. And they said, no, 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 Ms. Marange, you're just feeling the after effects of all that pushing you did. She said, no, there's another one. And 20 minutes later, my sister was born. And they had no idea that she was having twins. Tried to bill her for twins. She said, no, I'm not paying you. She said, you treated me for one, the nurse delivered one. You only delivered one. I'm paying you for one. <laughs> You'd have to know my mother, but she, she could do it. If you put my mother and Thad's mother together, they could rule the world. Uh, <laughs> they knew how to get things done. But he says, he was telling them before the cross, have peace. Now he's telling them after the cross, have peace. It's been finished. I went to the cross, and I know it looks like it was all about rejecting him. He's not our Messiah. And that happened. They rejected me, and I was crucified. But God was using that as the way to accomplish the atonement. And it's been done. It's finished. Nothing else will ever have to be done. All that remains is that 
Do you want it? You can have it just by saying, yes, I believe that Jesus died for me. That's the first salvation. I want to move on because of our time, and I want to look at the second one very, very quickly. And let me get caught up here. Here we go. The peace of salvation. We interpret that in light of he showed them his hands and his side. So that salvation has to do with God's Christ work of atonement on the cross. Now the second piece is the peace of service. In verse 21, Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Hmm. I'll let you look at that. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Well, the only way to understand that is to ask the question, how did the Father send him? How did, the, how did God the Father send the Son when he became the incarnate Son of God? And, and we can do that by simply surveying just a few passages that are in the Gospel of John. For example, in John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, he's using food as an analogy to my life work, my assignment, my passion, why I'm here, my purpose, why I became the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God. What's this all about? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So evidently, Christ becoming the the child in Bethlehem is something God wanted to happen and to accomplish his work. I've got an assignment. And we know that ultimately his assignment was to go to the cross and atone for the sins of the world. Let's move along. John chapter 5, verse 19 Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Some people would be led to interpret that as he's a wimp. He's he's impotent. Can't do anything. I I know some people that they depend on their parents and they can't even open a letter, open an envelope without, you know, I got a letter in the mail you know, would you open and read it? You know, if my kid told me that, I'd say, no, why don't you open and read it? You know, all that money spent on education and all that, use it. Practice. Learn to, let's see how good you can read. Uh, but one of my professors told me, he said, the secret to parenting is to never do anything for them that they can do for themselves. You see, the goal is not to keep you around forever, at least not in my house. My goal was to educate my children and help them develop a sense of values and to understand right from wrong and to make them as independent as they could possibly be. I wanted them to be independently dependent on God, just as I am independently dependent on God. And that's what my parents wanted of me. They didn't want me to stay there. They wanted me to leave one day. But they wanted me to leave prepared to face the world that I was, I was facing. 
You're going to have to face a world one day. And so that's why you're being educated, not only in school, but the church has a part in that, to help develop your spiritual life, because it's going to be tough out there. It's not, we're not a majority in the world anymore. We're a vast minority. And the pressure is excruciating. And so you've got to know what you believe and stand your ground and commit yourself that even if I get laughed at or rejected or spurned, I will not deter from my mission, which is to live my life to the glory of of God and to be available to be God's uh, servant, to do whatever it is that he wants me to do. And so this uh, idea of do nothing of himself is meaning that he is attaching himself to the Father. And now he's, he's only doing what the will of the Father is. He's not doing what the will of the Son is. So he says the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. He's confessing that I am here and I am tight with my Father who sent me and I'm here to accomplish a purpose that he wants me to accomplish. It turns out to be God wanted him to die. And that's why the night before in the garden he prayed, if, it, if it's possible, let this cup pass. And he sweat drops of blood. That, that was the emotional battle he was facing. Uh, and and he, he knew what was coming. You know what was coming? It, it, was, it was more than just being nailed to a tree and hanging until he died. It was the fact that while he was on that tree, the eternal fellowship that the son had with the father. Now, this is deep. I'm, I'm giving it to you free, but you could pay a lot of money in school to hear professors talk about this. What was I talking about? Uh, on the cross, Christ the son, who was the eternal son, and God the Father, God put a separation between the Son and Himself. Because God could not fellowship with Christ as the sin bearer. And Jesus was going to have to experience the rejection of His own Father and be separated from His Father. It lasted three hours. It started when He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My, my nation re- forsook me. The Jews said, we don't want you. The Romans forsook me. They said, we already got a king, Caesar. We don't need two. And now my God has forsaken me. But it was during that time of forsakenness is when Christ atoned for the sins of the world. He died for your sins and my sins, for the sins of everybody. And that didn't immediately save anybody, but it makes possible the salvation of anybody who believes. Faith is required. It's not a work. It's a response. But for those who believe, they have the gift of salvation. They have, and they're imputed with the very righteousness that Christ himself possesses. The only way you can get to heaven is that you've got to be as righteous as God. But if you are tied to Christ, wherever he goes, you go. And if he's acceptable in heaven, you're acceptable in heaven because you're in Christ Jesus. 
And that's what makes you acceptable to God. It's all about righteousness. And people think that, well, that's attained by works. No, it's obtained by imputation. You ladies, your daddy gives you a credit card and says, now be careful, but use this if you have to. And he gets his next statement, and there's $300 worth of cosmetics and movies and ice cream. And, and uh, your, your daddy says, hey, I didn't charge all this. I'm not paying for this. And you say, well, Daddy, you, you, uh, you, you gave me the card. And the credit card company says, we don't care who bought it. It's on your card. So it's being charged to you. Therefore, you pay it. Well, at the, at the cross, God took our sin and imputed it to Christ. He charged it to Christ and paid it fully. And then he took the righteousness of Christ and he imputes that to the believer, to the one who believes. So that now I'm infinitely righteous spiritually. And therefore, I am acceptable to God. I am what he wants me to be. I'm as righteous as his own son. And therefore, I'm acceptable. Ah, there's so much, so much more I'd want to say, but can't, can't do it. Um, Let's see, that's just John 15. We got a couple more here real quick. Uh, John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. You know, how many times does he have to say that before we get it? He's saying that I'm here as a servant of my Father to accomplish a purpose that he designed for me to do. I'm not here just to be me. Although he could have done anything he wanted. After all, he was divine. But he says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He always is subjected to the will of his Father. Verse 36, the witness that I have is greater than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. As he's doing those works, everybody is, is finding out this guy is on a mission and he's a divine person and he's got a divine Father and he's got a job, a specific job to do, and that is to go to the cross and atone for a sinful world. John six thirty eight, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Simple as it can be. John chapter 8, Jesus therefore said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative. I didn't design this. I didn't want to be here, but this is where my father told me I had to come. And I always do what my father says. I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I would amend, I would qualify that statement, he has not left me alone, but that did happen on the cross. He left him alone for three hours, and that was a, the worst three hours that Jesus Christ has ever experienced in all eternity. For the first time in eternity, he and his father are separated. 
Can't talk to him. Can't communicate. But then when it's over, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But he started out saying, my God, my God. Those are words that separate him. He closes when he says, Daddy, Daddy, into your hands I commit my spirit. Fellowship has been restored because the atonement has been completed. Somebody once asked me, well, how, how can that be equal? How can three hours on the cross be equal to dying for the sins of the whole world? If, if, if the, the penalty for our, our sinful death is, is eternity. Well, that's why he had to be God incarnated. Because to atone, to substitute for someone, a guilty man can't substitute for another guilty man. A guilty man's got his own sin. So you need an innocent man to substitute for a guilty man. But there are no innocent men on the earth. Well, if Jesus was here, he would be innocent. He had no sin. That's true. But as a man, he could then atone for one sinful man. He was atoning for all. But you see, he was not just a man. He was the eternal son of God. Therefore, the value of his eternal righteousness was deemed equitable for three hours for the sins of the whole world. God had to satisfy his, his divine justice. And for Christ to be on that cross for three hours, he then said, it is finished. That's it. Nobody ever has to do anything in terms of paying penalty for sin. Sin does not destroy a relationship, but it can affect fellowship. And that, that's a major problem. All right, quickly. John 12. I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment, what to say, what to speak. Same thing over and over again. John 14.10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. So Jesus is saying that God the Father is in me and he's doing his works through me. And that's the definition of the Christian life. A born-again Christian is someone who has the Spirit of God indwelling a person and they are doing the will of the Father by the power of the Spirit. The Christian walk is a supernatural lifestyle. It's not something that non-Christians can do. But we've dumbed down Christianity. We, we define Christianity, oh, those are people that go to church. Those are people that, that give to charity. And those are good things. But non-Christians can do those things. The Christian life is forgiving one another. You say, whoa, I, I can't do that. No, I can't either unless the Spirit of God is controlling my life. He's doing it through me. The Christian life is love, joy, peace, suffering, all these things. The spiritual life is letting the fruit of the Spirit be displayed in how you live your life. 
And Christ says, hey, I wasn't doing this on my own. I was obeying my Father, and He was accomplishing His works through me. So we know, therefore, that whatever was done uh, was complete because it was the Father Himself who was completing His own demands through His Son. I know it gets kind of thick, but uh, you, you're getting this. It, it costs you a lot of money in seminary. All right, this is the last one here. Acts 2.22. Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. It's on the day of Pentecost. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. You know these things. All that you've seen, that was God working through Christ and working through me and the other disciples. All right. So, now we've answered the question. How did the Father send Christ? He sent Him with the power of the Spirit. And He sent Him adequate to do whatever it was He wanted Him to do. Would you be able to go to a cross and be crucified? It'd be, it wouldn't be voluntary, would it? That, they'd have to drug me uh, and, and, and drag me. I wouldn't just say, okay, I give up. Uh, I'd, I'd fight it until I had no breath and no blood. Jesus voluntarily went. He carried his own cross. He let them nail him to the cross. He hung there doing something that, that is hard to describe. And he did it because God loves you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's people, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's you. That whosoever believeth on him. Salvation is the response to the work of Christ by faith, believing that he did go to the cross, he was the Son of God, and he wasn't dying for himself, he was dying for me. And God put the sins of the world on him, and he paid the penalty. And then when we believe, God takes the righteousness of himself and imputes it into me, so that in the presence, in, in, in the, the legal book, the Lamb's book of life, my name is written there. How do you get into the Lamb's book of life? Trust Christ. Does that mean that I don't have any sin anymore? No. It's still possible to sin in this life. I'm mortal. I sinned three weeks ago, I think. I'm, it was, <laughs> it was uh, this morning. It was just now when I told you uh, that, 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 was, that was a lie. <laughs> We've got to get to the last one. So, as the Lord hath sent the Son, he says, I'm sending you. Whatever it is I want you to do for me, I'll be with you. My spirit will be in you, and I'll give you the ability to do it. Missionaries have to wrestle with that. They're going to a foreign field, and they don't know what to expect. He says, I'll be with you. You just go and pr preach the word, tell the message. 
and we see people coming to Christ in Papua New Guinea and the Philippines and there are Christians all over the world. It's a worldwide organism and it's still growing, not growing as fast as the world, but it's still alive. And there's no excuse. The reason why people don't serve the Lord is, I just don't think I could do that. And I don't, I don't have it in me to do that. Well, you're right. That's why God puts something in you to do it. He puts himself. And if you're just willing to let him use you, he'll give you peace that he can do wonderful things. Wonderful things. Well, quickly, we read earlier that Thomas wasn't there when Jesus was telling the disciples these things. So they found Thomas, and they said, hey, we found the Lord. He's alive. And Thomas said, hey, I'm not going to believe it unless I can touch his hand, touch his side. So eight days later, just by coincidence, they're back in the upper room, and Thomas is there, and Jesus comes back, walked right through the door. And he stood in the midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, he immediately turned to Thomas, and he said, reach here your fingers and, and hands and see my hands and reach here your hand and put it into my side and stop being unbelieving and start believing. Now, Thomas was a believer in that he had, he had surrendered himself to follow Christ. He's one of the disciples. But because of these circumstances, he wasn't sure if he was going to keep following him. See, and that's the difference between justification and sanctification. He was justified when he believed Christ. That's not a process. That's, a, that's an act. But then the day-to-day -day obedience, that's sanctification. And Thomas was, I mean, he didn't know what to do. He, he didn't know how to, and Jesus, and by the way, uh, it's obvious that Jesus loves Thomas, Jesus could have said, well, Thomas, he's, he's bugged out. Forget him. We'll get somebody else. No, he went and found Thomas because he loved him. And he knew that he had ability. He knew that he had, and he knew that he could serve him. He had done it. He had served Christ before the cross. And he just wants him to know that, hey, I forgive you. And it's the peace of God in security. People sometimes do things and they think, well, God will never forgive that. I've really crossed the line this time. God's going to shut the door on me. And they would love to, to come back, but they just don't think that uh, Jesus would take them back. And they don't realize that his love is everlasting. And he's reaching out to us and he's saying, listen, we're having a problem with fellowship right now and obedience, but you are my child. You are my child. You believe, and I love you, and I want you back where you, you, you need to be, serving me. And that had to be a, a breath of fresh air for Thomas to say, wow, he, he's going to take me back. He, he wants me to serve him after the resurrection. And so that's the peace of God and security. We all have times when we blow it, maybe in a little way or maybe in a big way. And I'm not trying to preach license to do whatever you want. God always forgives. But there are times when we, after going astray, so to speak, 
we realize that it was wrong. And we want so badly to feel forgiven and accepted. But he wouldn't do that, not after what I did. You don't understand who your Lord is. He will never stop loving you. And he died for all your sins. He died for the sins you're dealing with right now. You know, he's not, he didn't die just for the ones up to a certain point in time. And if you want forgiveness, come back. Just talk to him and say, Lord, I repent. I confess. But I want to serve you. It ain't much, but I give you what I got. If you can use it, take it. And that's the peace of security. There's always a way back. God always forgives his children when they want to come back to a point where they're going to obey and walk in obedience to his commands. So, what we've learned is that he's talking about at least three different kinds of peace. There's a peace of salvation, and that's tied to showing his hands and his side. I have accomplished what I came to do. No more animal sacrifices, nothing. Just believe that my work at the cross satisfied all that God demands for your sins. The peace of service. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If God wants you to serve him, he's not going to say, well, good luck. I hope you find some people that can show you what to do. If he wants you to serve him, your spirit is in you, and he is going to enable you to do what it is he wants you to do. I've gone places and didn't, didn't know how, I didn't even know how to open my mouth to respond to questions or whatever. And then all of a sudden, God just shows me a library of all the things that he's been teaching me as I've been studying his word. And there's one thing that speaks exactly to the issue that I'm being asked. And then, uh, did that ever happen to you? I mean, I'm not psychic. I'm not a psycho. But if you invest studying spiritual truth, studying God's word, you're building a library. And the Spirit of God, based on the need, he pulls the book off the shelf and shows you what you've been studying that speaks exactly to the issue. Corey, you're going you're gonna to learn. You're going to see that happen. You're going to have times when I, I just don't know what to say. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be reminded of a passage that you've been reading and studying. And it speaks right to that issue. And uh, maybe I am psycho, but that's happened to me more times than I can, I can remember. Uh, I view it as the grace of God to be faithful to his promise that he sends me out the way he sent his son out, equipped to do whatever it is he wants him to do. So no matter what happens, enjoy the peace of salvation. You'll, you're not working to get saved. That's done. You are God's child if you put your trust in him. But you may not be serving him as you should. As you should. Maybe you're, you're just afraid that you're not going to be able to do it. The Father is sending you out the same way the Son was sent out, totally equipped to accomplish the goal. And the peace of security, when you do blow it, it's not the end of the world. Uh, it may be the end of fellowship, 
And to renew that fellowship, you've got to come back. And he wants you to come back. He accepts us. He forgives us. And he wants us to serve him. So may the peace of God reign supreme in your life. And may you find it to be a valuable, invaluable part of your Christian service. And may it be that, that uh, rock that you have tied your rope to, that uh, you, you know that no matter where I go, I'm tied to that rock. And I have the promise of everlasting life with the, our Lord. Father, I do thank you for your goodness to us. And we are living in some troublesome days. Uh, and I pray for those Lord, who just seem uh, helpless and most vulnerable to, to this virus. I pray that you would enable them perhaps to survive, especially for those who don't know you, or even in their treatment, come across people who would share with them the good news of Christ. Thank you for our church, our fellowship. Uh, we want everyone to come back. We know that people have different time schedules. Uh, they, they do have fears about uh, things, and so we honor that, but uh, we're praying that they will uh, just have a yearning in their heart to want to come back to the fellowship of God's people. It, it, there's nothing like it, and it, it's therapeutic. Uh, being with other believers just makes us feel better, reminds us who we are, and the hope that we have and the help that we have uh, through your spirit. But uh, it's your church, so you care for it as you, you choose and use us in any way that, that uh, you need to use us to glorify you and to be uh, a blessing to all who come seek, uh, uh, seek help in, in the branches uh, of the tree of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Two.
They did a great job. really appreciate you guys, and I know the youth appreciate you guys as well on Wednesday nights. And um, what a blessing it is for those guys to, to be able to minister to us on a Sunday morning. Um, just a couple of things I wanted to mention. I was counting the years that I've known George, and I think it's 38 years. I was doing the math, and I didn't like what I came up with. Not that I don't uh, love George, but... 38 years ago, I showed up on uh, the campus of Southeastern Bible College, and uh, George was there already. And um, I was telling the, the guys first service that if there's one word that I would sum up, um, use to sum up his life, it would be faithful. Uh, a faithful follower of the Lord, um, which means a lot. You know, you, you look at people's lives and you, you want to follow people who finish well. And um, for, for me, George has um, just been a faithful servant of the Lord, and, um, and I thank the Lord for him. He's been faithful to, to follow the Lord, faithful to serve the Lord, faithful to his family. Uh, I think he and Glenda are going to celebrate, is it 50 years this year, George? June 13th, June 13th 50 years. That's a long time to live with George. Um, <laughs> but... Um, 
I know that uh, I said first service, you know, you, in the ministry it's great to have um, support from your spouse. I mean, it's so critical. There aren't even words um, to express, you know, my thankfulness for Teresa. And I know that's how George feels about Glenda. And uh, he expressed that some first service. But um, his faithfulness to his family, uh, his family was here, uh, first service. And then um, his faithfulness to the body of Christ. I mean, he's been faithful to the body. And uh, we're certainly thankful for him. And then um, I was thinking also last, and, and I think the most important to me, it's kind of hard to rate all those things, but his faithfulness to the word. I mean, he is a theological well. He has, uh, <laughs> I mean, we used to sit in class and wonder, what is he talking about, <laughs> right? Because we were just so ignorant. We were trying to learn, but we are so, so thankful. I know you guys are too, every time he's been up here to speak. And he'll continue to fill the pulpit at times. But um, just so, so knowledgeable about the Word of God. And I am so, so blessed to have been under his ministry for a long time. And I'm thankful for George. So, George, thank you so much for all your service and all your ministry. And we're going to do this the proper way, hopefully at the, sometime in the fall when we all can thank him and Glenda for their ministry. So, all right, guys, why don't we uh, stand together? Let's close in prayer. And I'll let you go home. How about that? Lord, we just thank you so much again for um, your faithful servant, George, and his wife, Glenda. Thank you for their ministry and over the years and just how you um, worked everything out for them to be um, here, at, at Lord, and, and to be serving alongside of them here at Grace. Uh, we're privileged and we're thankful for them. Uh, Lord, we continue to look forward to the ways they will serve you here. And um, Lord, we just thank you so much that... Um, we're able to meet together again, to fellowship again. And um, we just pray, Lord, that this week as we have opportunities to share with others about the peace that we have, that um, we would be bold in our witness uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray for each one that's here and those that couldn't be here today, Lord, that you would just, uh, Lord, by your Spirit, guide us into those conversations this week that... that uh, would cause us to be able to share about the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.